Welcome to the Join My League Football Podcast with your host, Tim Coletta. Welcome to another edition of the Join My League Football Podcast. Another exciting yet frustrating week of NFL action is in the books, and we are now ankle deep in football mode. The first few weeks of the season, while important in the end of the season standings, it's a little bit like a trial sets the stage for the entire year. You know, once week three and week four come along, teams begin to form identities. Teams that come from out of nowhere to start the season hot, they begin to cool off and we get the first line of impactful injuries. So by next week, we're going to be knee deep into the season. And as a matter of fact, after this week, we'll be a quarter of the way through the regular season, if you can believe it. Up till now, only three undefeated teams remain, the Chiefs, the Dolphins, and maybe the Rams. I say maybe because as I record this Thursday afternoon, by the time it gets published on Friday, the Rams may have gotten their first loss of the season as they host the Minnesota Vikings Thursday night. But of the three teams, I can only bet, you know, maybe the Rams were predicted to begin the season with three wins and zero losses. So the Rams are the real deal, as we all know, and most of us predicted that at the beginning of the year. The other two, the Chiefs and the Dolphins, that remains to be seen. I do expect a drop-off from the Dolphins at some point this year, and it could start this weekend as they head to New England to take on the struggling Patriots. As for the Chiefs, how long could they stay hot? They're 3-0 now, and while their defense has some real issues, their offense is the hottest and best in the NFL up until this point. They've been so good through three weeks that people are starting to compare them to the greatest show on turf, St. Louis Rams teams of the late 1990s. While up until this point, the comparisons may be fine, they'll fade away eventually. You know, the Chiefs are known for epic meltdowns. In 2007, they started 4-3, only to finish 4-12. They were the last undefeated team uh, in 2010. They finished 10-6 and and lost in the first round of the playoffs. In 2013, they started out 9-0, finished the year 2-5, They made the playoffs that year but blew a 38-10 lead against the Indianapolis Colts in the wildcard round, lost that game 45-44. The Chiefs, they've quietly, quietly made the playoffs four out of the last five years, but they only have one playoff win to show for it. So while it's very inspiring to see Patrick Mahomes start off the year the way he has, I wouldn't get my hopes up if I'm a Chiefs, uh, Chiefs fan. You know, to me, it's only a matter of time before the Chiefs are exposed as frauds. And I don't mean to knock them, but their success has a lot to do with Mahomes. He's only 23 years old, he has a total of four career starts, and he doesn't have a defense to pick him up when he falls. He hasn't fallen yet, so everything is gravy in Kansas City, but when he does, and he will, they will be exposed. And as we head into Sunday, things are finally starting to take shape, but not without a losing record. I went 2-3 and three this week to uh, improve, I guess, or not improve, uh, my season record to 6-9 and nine on the year. I hit on the Rams and New Orleans, but the Patriots laid the egg Sunday night. That didn't help me. Uh, Ryan Fitzmagic ended up looking like Ryan Fitztragic in the first half of Monday night. That cost the Bucks and myself a W. And the Andy Dalton I predicted that we would see at some point this season He showed up a week early as his four interception sealed Cincinnati's fate. I do have potential on the week to go to 11-9, more realistically 9-9. If I go 0-5 this week, that's going to put me at 6-14, and 
Uh, and that's unacceptable. I'm not going to let that happen. I went in overall 8-8 eight and eight on, the, uh, on the week, and that brings my record to 29-17-2 on the year. Unfortunately, as you can see, my record on the show isn't up to par to my standards, and that's going to get fixed, I hope. And uh, I'll get into picks a little bit later on in the show, but for now, it's time for some quick hits. Los Angeles Rams star cornerback Aqib Talib is expected to be out for a while as he's opted for surgery on his injured ankle. The surgery takes place today, which again, today's Thursday, you're hearing this Friday, and um, as of this recording, there's no timetable for his return. However, uh, expect that timetable. That thing's going to change within the next day or so. Now, the NFL is going to move Thursday Night Football from the NFL Network to Fox and Amazon Prime Video starting tonight or last night. Thursday's matchup between the Rams and Vikings is the first that's going to be aired on Fox and Amazon Prime Video. Uh, more importantly, however, as it was announced on Tuesday, that Hannah Kramer and Andrea Storm are going to provide commentary and analysis for the game. What makes this so important is that it's the first time ever that two females will broadcast an entire NFL game. And while no official word has been made just yet, Ryan Fitzpatrick is expected to be the Buccaneers' starting quarterback for their Week 4 tilt against the Chicago Bears. Coach Dirk Cutter said the team has a plan in place for Sunday and that both Fitzpatrick and the recently reinstated Jamie Winston have been informed about which direction the team is heading. Fitzpatrick did show his turnover tendencies Monday against the Steelers, but he also did score 27 points, nearly led Tampa Bay to a comeback victory. Meanwhile, Jamie Winston hasn't played a game since New Year's Eve last year. He wasn't exactly setting the league on fire then. So we can expect that Ryan Fitzpatrick will be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback on Sunday starting against the Chicago Bears. A number of recent incidents have come to light over the last few days involving Minnesota Vikings defensive end Everson Griffin. As first reported on Monday, Griffin made verbal threats to shoot a staff member at a Minneapolis hotel over the weekend. Then he proceeded to go to his teammate Trey Wayne's house, was walking shirtless uh, in bushes. He left a few minutes later, then police caught up with him. When they caught up with Griffin, he kept saying that God made me do it when asked why he went to Trey Wayne's house. Police reported that during the conversation, Griffin made a number of references about God, 777, and that people wanted to kill him. He agreed to an ambulance ride, but while being transported, he exited the ambulance walking with his arms in the air for fear of being shot. No charges were filed. Police said that they didn't arrest Griffin because he didn't commit a crime. However, uh, Griffin did agree to check himself into a hospital for a mental evaluation. Thoughts out to Griffin, and I sure hope he'll be okay. And lastly, Miami Dolphins defensive lineman William Hayes tore his ACL on Sunday, apparently trying to avoid a roughing the passer penalties. So there you go. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse with this one, but are you happy now, NFL? Because that's how out of hand this rule has gotten. And I called it prior to week one. I knew it was going to be an issue. He may not be a superstar, but he's an NFL player. Let's put it this way. William Hayes is most famous not for being a football player, but for admitting that he thought mermaids were real and dinosaurs were not. Outside of that, he's pretty unknown. But this is an NFL player we're talking about, and he tore his ACL trying to protect the NFL's star quarterbacks. He was tackling the quarterback, making his best attempt to roll to avoid landing on the quarterback, dug his foot into the ground, he twisted his knee the wrong way, and he tore his ACL. What'd I say? I told you. 
I told you this was going to happen. The NFL implemented this rule some six months ago or so. You're giving these defensive players six months to unlearn everything they were taught about textbook tackling when they were eight-year-olds. You know, how? How, is, how are they supposed to do that? It's impossible. Literally, it's impossible. You know, for the last several years, it was, uh, it was the catch rule that created all types of controversy. Now, with that out of the way, there's a new problem. And it's a lot worse than the catch rule ever was, if you can believe that, because now you're creating injuries to avoid injuries. The NFL cannot seem to get out of its own way. And again, just as I predicted, it's helping determine the outcomes of games. Clay Matthews has been flagged for this penalty each of the team's first three games. And they sit at 1-1-1, while, to be fair, they should be 2-1-1. You know, no one's been hurt worse by the rules than, uh, than the Green Bay Packers, which is almost hilariously ironic seeing as the rule was put in place after their quarterback's injury sparked the rule change last year. The rule cost them a win in Week 2, and that's not debatable. It cost them a, week, a win in Week 2 against the Viking. Everybody knows that. If not for the flag, the interception Kirk Cousins threw, that, would, uh, that interception would have stood, and that would have sealed the Packers' victory. Fact. But it also hurt the Browns in Week 2 as well. You know, Miles Garrett, he was called for roughing the passer on Big Ben Roethlisberger, which set the Steelers up at the four-yard line who would then run the ball into the end zone a couple of plays later. You know, had it not been for that flag, the Steelers would have had to settle for a field goal, and the Browns likely would have avoided the tie and won the game. So the rule is impacting the outcomes of these games. And we're only three weeks in. Speaking of three weeks in, Trey Wingo of ESPN recently stated that 33 roughing the passer penalties have been called so far through uh, this year. At this point last year, only 16 were called. That's more than a 100% increase. Even the quarterbacks are against this rule. And luckily, it seems the NFL starting to get the hint because they have a meeting with the competition committee next week to discuss the calls themselves. And while it seems like no one is very confident that the rule will be eliminated altogether this season, the hope, I suppose, is that they communicate to the referees to lay off a little bit. You know, you can't blame the referees, you know. They're just doing their jobs. They're listening to the NFL, and they're following the rules whether they make sense or not. Even if the NFL tell the refs to lay off the flags regarding roughing the quarterback, what's that going to solve? It's going to create a whole nother issue. If you have a rule in place, how can you enforce it only sometimes? What are you going to do? Throw a flag when Clay Matthews lands on a quarterback, but not when J.J. Watt does? That's going to go over real well, especially in Green Bay. It's going to lead to even more confusion, dummies. Football is a contact sport, and the players will tell you that they know what they signed up for. You've essentially taken away all three aspects of being able to sack the quarterback. You eliminate headshots? Fine. You take away uh, low hits to the knee area? Okay. What's left? It's like the midsection, right? Well, now you've basically taken that away, too. There's not many options left. I think I speak for everyone when I say that making the game safer is a great thing, but only to the point where you aren't changing the game altogether because then it's no longer football. There's a fine line, and I think the only people who don't see it is the NFL because all they see are dollar signs, and those dollar signs are quarterbacks. They can meet all they want, but the only way to fix the issue is to get rid of the rule, and they won't because, and I'm telling you, Get ready because red Aaron Rodgers jerseys are going to be a top seller of the NFL merchandise in the near future.
on to the JF Stacks waiver wire pickup of the week presented by yours truly with an assist from the man, the myth, the legend, John Foyles, a.k.a. JF Stacks, a.k.a. Stacks, or simply Foyles. This list comes down to two players, one obvious, one not so obvious. Uh, the obvious one being Calvin Ridley, who before Wednesday was available in 60% of leagues. Now, that number has dropped as he is only available in 29% of leagues. You knew he was going to be a hot commodity after his performance the last two weeks, so while he's deserving to be the JF Stacks waiver wire pickup of the week, the honor goes to none other than Antonio Callaway, wide receiver of the Cleveland Browns. This is more of a patient pickup, but it'll be well worth it. You know, with the trade that sent Josh Gordon to the New England Patriots, Callaway has been thrusted into the Cleveland Browns starting lineup, and he will absolutely benefit. And you can benefit too if you have him on your fantasy team. While you wouldn't be able to tell from his four catch for 20 yard stat line from last week, he received 10 targets for the game. His productivity should only increase with Baker Mayfield under center. He might not be a must add, but he's owned in just 23% of ESPN leagues. That makes him available in almost 80% of ESPN fantasy leagues. Get him now while you still can. Stash him for a few weeks on your bench. Let him prove himself. And once he does, you'll already have him. He won't be a hot commodity because he'll be on your team. He may be able to help you win some important games later on in the season. Now, I got to be honest. As concerned as I should be about this weekend's games, I'm feeling very confident in the picks I've made. There are so many exciting games to look forward to this weekend, and I'm kind of upset that I had to narrow it down to five. You know, several years ago, there was a game between the Browns and Lions. Both teams at that point were looking at top five draft picks, but they put on a show, man, an offensive performance for the ages. I forget the score, but I believe it was the Lions who won that game. What I remember most about it is Matthew Stafford getting absolutely leveled by a Browns defender. He came off the field in agonizing pain to his shoulder, his throwing shoulder. You know, the Lions uh, took a timeout. Stafford went back into the game, and he nailed his receiver for what I believe was the game-winning touchdown. After he released the ball, Stafford dropped to his knees. Uh, he was holding his throwing shoulder. They won the game because of that guy's heart and determination. And that was between two lousy teams. And though the Lions and the Cowboys this year aren't nearly as bad as the Lions and Browns teams who faced off some years ago, neither is considered playoff bound at the moment. But that doesn't mean a game between two average to below average teams won't be exciting, because sometimes those are the best games. Do I have high hopes for this game? Not exactly. I don't expect 80 points to be scored between the two teams, but there are a number of interesting scenarios in this game. For one, I don't understand how the Cowboys are favored. They've scored 31 points, I'm sorry, they've scored 41 total points in three games this season, and they were recently balled by an identityless Seahawks team. Dak Proskett hasn't thrown for 500 yards yet this year, and he's thrown for under 200 in five straight games. You know, Blake Bortles, he's received a ton of heat for me for quite a while, and while he hasn't played exactly like an all-star, he hasn't played nearly as awful as Prescott has. Therefore, Dak Prescott is the new owner of a certain award. It's the award I give out to the worst starting quarterback in the league. Dak Prescott, congratulations because you, sir, are without a doubt 100% grade A trash. Meanwhile, 
The Lions have newfound confidence heading into this week as they defeated the reigning AFC champion New England Patriots this past Sunday night on national television. Sure, the Cowboys are at home, but this Dallas team, they're 100% Ezekiel Elliott or bust. While on the flip side, the Lions can beat you with a number of different players. Golden Tate, Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, LeGarrette Blunt, and my preseason running back fantasy sleeper of the year, Lions leading rusher Carrion Johnson. Give me the Lions with the free field goal, and the Lions are going to win outright, 27-21. to And if we're looking at this next game on paper, the Eagles seem like a gimme over the Tennessee Titans, but it's not. On paper, the quarterback matchup is Carson Wentz versus a Titans quarterback who isn't 100% healthy. No matter which one it is, whether it's Marcus Mariota who's dealing with an elbow issue or Blaine Gabbert who was hurt last week in place of Mariota, he doesn't even deserve a job in the NFL. So it seems like a no-brainer to take the Eagles, correct? Wrong. And while I'm going to take the Eagles to cover the four-point spread and win, I have to acknowledge that the Titans' defense is no joke. This game is not a gimme. I think the Titans, they can limit Carson Wentz, the Eagles' banged-up running back crew, and the wide receiver core to keep this game close. And they can win this game. But to win this game, they're going to have to score some kind of points. And that's something they've struggled to do so far this season. And I expect that trend to continue against an overwhelming Eagles pass rush. Play it safe, take the Eagles straight up, and only mess with the spread if you're feeling lucky. At 4 p.m. Eastern time, we're going to be getting ready for the most exciting game of the week, in my opinion. Uh, We talked earlier about the Lions team, who have new hope entering week four of the NFL season. Well, we can't talk about new hope or new uh, confidence without mentioning the Cleveland Browns, can we? No, we can't. About a week ago. Cleveland notched their first win in over 600 days. They were down early against the Jets, but came back to secure the win behind 200 passing yards from rookie quarterback Baker Mayfield. He entered the game after Tyrod Taylor had to be evaluated for concussion. Well, now Baker Mayfield is the unquestioned starter for the Cleveland Browns team, and the fan base could not be happier. That much was evident after Mayfield received a standing ovation as he trotted onto the field in the second half. The Cleveland Browns, they may still be a punchline, you know, the butt of a joke, but in reality, they're no longer a punching bag for NFL teams, and they should be 3-0. The Raiders, on the other hand, you know, I was expecting them to come out firing on offense this season and sneak into the playoffs as a wildcard team. In my defense, that was when Khalil Mack was still at least on the team, But either way, that's a distant memory now. I'll take the L for that one. But speaking of defense, the Raiders have none of it. And ironically enough, it stems from a lack of pass rush. Fewer than 20 uh, quarterback hurries all season. Ryan Tannehill picked them apart. Ryan effing Tannehill. If there's one defense Baker Mayfield wants to make his first start against, you could bet your sweet little tush that it's going to be against this soft Raiders defense. Meanwhile, Derek Carr has looked much better than he did last season, but he's not getting any help whatsoever. The Raiders team itself has shown very little enthusiasm to start the year, and maybe you can attribute that to trading their best player and uh, defensive leader prior to their week one game. But the heart of this team is not there. They're a defense without an identity, and that's been obvious as the Raiders have blown halftime leads in each game this season. A loss to the Browns could make the Raiders the NFL's new punching bag. 
The Raiders are three-point uh, three favorites, but can the Browns win back-to-back games for the first time since 2014? Can the Browns get their first road win since 2015? Yes, they can to both, and yes, they will to both. Dog pound baby, 23-21 over the Raiders. And for Sunday night football this week, we have the Ravens traveling to Pittsburgh to take on their hated AFC North rival. And according to the Pittsburgh Steelers, Le'Veon Bell is no longer on the team. They have literally removed him from their roster. And they have another month or so to trade him before the deadline if they choose to do so. Teams like the Colts, the Jets, the Packers, and even the Eagles are among teams that are rumored to have interest in his services. Or the Steelers can wait till the end of the year, let him walk, or get nothing for him. Either way, Le'Veon Bell doesn't play another down in the Steel City, and I'm okay with that, because James Conner has filled in admirably in Bell's absence. He may not be as good as Bell, but he's pretty darn good, and the Steelers are going to be fine with him at tailback. Through three games, Big Ben Roethlisberger has over 1,100 yards passing. That's almost 400 yards a game through the air. So we know their strategy. Last year, he put up almost 500 yards uh, on the Ravens in a single game. He could put up similar numbers on Sunday night, I do believe that much. On the other side, you have Joe Flacco. He's benefited tremendously, tremendously from his new crop of receivers. And the Ravens offense, they've scored 12 touchdowns and 12 red zone trips, an NFL record, 100% success rate. But how long can they sustain that kind of success? That luck's got to run out at some point, right? You know, it is strange talking about a Ravens and Steelers game for over two minutes with no mention of the defensive side of the ball. That's because they're not worth mentioning anymore. They're no longer two defensive powerhouse teams. A few years ago, this was the best rivalry in football because of the defenses. An old school 10-3 final score with each team giving the other a black eye in the process? That was Ravens-Steelers. But those days are long gone. Baltimore, to me, if we're talking defense, they have a better one than the Steelers. But in their lone road, uh, lone road game this season, they've given up 34 points to a Bengals team that doesn't have near the amount of talent as Pittsburgh has. I don't know who's going to win. Baltimore does look improved over last season. And Pittsburgh, although they have plenty of turmoil surrounding the club, they may have hit a switch last weekend in Tampa Bay. All I know is it's going to be another shootout Sunday night. It can go either way, but I'm going to go with the home team. More weapons at their quarterback's disposal. They're currently favored by three, and I'm going to take them straight up as well. Steelers 38-34 over the Ravens on Sunday night. On to Monday night. This game was uh, this game's for the Broncos, man. It's of utmost importance for them if they want to stay relevant in the AFC West race. They're going to host their red-hot rival, Kansas City Chiefs. Monday Night Football, man. The Chiefs have a clear edge at quarterback position as Patrick Mahomes is leading the MVP candidate through three weeks of the season. And Case Keenum, he's not looked like the same guy that we saw in Minnesota uh, last year. Which, for the record, I accurately predicted. I am the smartest man alive! The Chiefs had the edge at basically every offensive position over the Broncos. They scored at least 38 points in each game this season. Meanwhile, the Broncos haven't scored 30 since last September. Well, they're going to get their chance on Monday night because as good as the Chiefs, as good as the Chiefs have looked through 3 weeks, it's obvious their defense has some glaring holes. With that said, the Broncos will have the home crowd behind them, but the X factor is going to be Denver's secondary. Adam Jones and Tremaine Brock 
enter this game nursing injuries, and all of a sudden, Denver's no-fly zone looks suspect against a quarterback who has 900 yards to go along with 13 touchdowns and no interceptions to start the year. That spells trouble. I'll say it again, the Chiefs are going to slow down offensively at some point this season, but I don't think it's going to be Monday night. The Broncos are going to have to rely on Case Keenum to keep up with Kansas City's high-octane offense, and I don't think he's going to be able to. The Chiefs are favored by four and a half, and I think that's just about right. So give me the red team 34-28 over the Broncos on Monday Night Football. Value play of the week, something I noticed that I didn't want to spend too much time on, but there is value in playing the Miami Dolphins at plus 245 on the money line and getting seven points on the road in New England. The Miami Dolphins are looking for their first 4-0 start since 1995. The Patriots are looking to avoid a 1-3 start to the season, a mark they haven't seen since 2001 when they won their first Super Bowl, the Brady, uh, Brady and Belichick era. So that's a wrap on this week's episode of the Join My League Football Podcast. Subscribe to YouTube channel. Hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and the IG. Let me know how your picks stack up against mine this week. And next week, we're going to highlight week four, look ahead to the best games of week five. And should Le'Veon Bell still be a stealer, I'll take a dive and try to predict the top suitors for his services. Until then, enjoy the games this weekend. I hope your team wins unless they're playing my team. Kill your fantasy league and have a fantastic weekend.